0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Morning, Jesus 911. Virgin Most Powerful. Two man car on Soul Patrol. Jesse Romero, Ruben Nava. And, uh, you know, every time I say that, good morning, I. Uh, I uh think of um uh, what was that a comedian um uh, in v- that M- Vietnam movie <laughs> he's a DJ that com-
2: uh you know um
1: Robin Williams yeah he's, he's uh had,
2: rest in peace committed suicide Yeah Yeah go ahead Yeah
1: okay go ahead Jesse.
2: I'm t- I'm Teddy Ruben yeah. I'm on duty okay. and we are we are uh ready to go
1: Yeah you know, Jesse. There's uh, we're going to be talking about some things that, you know, it's 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 somewhat disturbing, man, and it really is. You think that this can't be happening in our church, but it has been happening for a long time. Uh, and we're first going to start with the Masonic elements and liturgical design. And for us here in LA, we we know some of the we've seen some of the trends. I mean, just think about the the downtown LA cathedral. It's got some some things in there that are. <laughs> That you look at and you go, that that just doesn't seem right. You know, the hairs on the back of your neck. That census fide is kicking in there saying, man, especially that statue right in the front. Um, and then, but, uh, you know, we've Ruben, all. Ruben,
2: it, it doesn't feel like a holy place. Uh, from day one, when I walked in there, when it was opened and erected. Yeah. Uh, I actually, you know, when like you walk into like a haunted house or you walk into, I don't know, like a psychic shop or, you know, some a witch's parlor or some santero's parlor. And you, you as a cop you've been to all those places. Mm-hmm. Um that's the way Ruben I feel when I walk into the LA Cathedral. I feel there. I just feel there's something in my spirit that tells me something is wrong in here and I can't put my finger on the uh, on the mm-hmm. problem. But after looking at these articles I said, "Ah, mm-hmm. this is why my soul is disturbed. This resembles a Masonic architecture." Yeah. And it was done up. It was not done by accident. No. It was by design.
1: Yeah, yeah. Our Cardinal Mahoney he hired a modernist to to do this, and I wouldn't. I would imagine he's probably a you know Masonic in this in the sense that you know we see the way he it, the lines are not drawn up like a traditional Gothic architecture things you'd see um, in some of the great cathedrals, and and then also over in Orange County when the Orange Diocese took over the uh the cathedral it it was um robert schuler's cathedral and um so it used to be called uh well it's called christ cathedral now but it was called the crystal cathedral back then and uh i had been there a few times to to see some plays christmas and easter plays but but when they yeah, yeah when they blessed it they consecrated it as a catholic same thing when you go into the 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 church uh one of those crosses that uh we talk we'll talk about it in, in this article it's it the crucifix it's 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 almost as if they're the the, the horizontal and the vertical uh, uh beams are in the same length not typical of what you would see on a crucifix with a corpus and um and just some some very abstract uh things that are hanging on the wall and, and uh maybe the stat, there's no statues in there uh maybe yeah there's just a picture of our lady Guadalupe, but i can't remember seeing a statue in that the whole cathedral and um it, it just it's the same thing that you, you were saying when you went to la cathedral that, that's the that's how i was feeling in the in the uh, the christ cathedral in orange county
2: ruben st paul in the, in the book of acts chapter 19 when he walks into athens greece and he looks at all the, the statues of these greek demon gods they're all over the city and saint paul says in the bible he says my spirit was disturbed Mm. that's exactly the way i have felt when i walked in the orange county crystal cathedral and the la uh the la cathedral my spirit is disturbed there's something strange in here and uh, the census today just kicks in, mm-hmm. and uh, and again, I, I just I'm not at rest. So let's jump into this article, Ruben. All righty. <clears throat> so it's difficult. Yeah.
1: yeah. This this infiltration has penetrated you know very deeply into the heart of the church, and um, there's we're confronted by elements of masonry in uh, in the very layout of some sanctuary renovations.
2: In fact, Ruben, on the article, there's actually a layout of a masonic. Right, uh, liturgical design. So you can get the article vmpr.org or my website com, and you can see the Masons are pretty open. If you look at their liturgical design for their, you know, liturgies, uh, you'll see. Oh, well, here's exactly where the modern architecture has got the designs for the modern Catholic churches mm-hmm. right for the Freemasons. Yeah. and and Michael Hitchborn told me this about three years ago. By the way. Right.
1: And that was over here in uh city of uh, I guess it would be La puente there's a church called Saint Martha's, and they put it in the round they put the alto right in the middle, so you know people are facing each other they they move the the pews around and there's no longer the high altar no no longer you're you're not facing east anymore and that church was facing east it is facing east mm. so it, again that that's happened uh, you know probably you know twenty years ago, but still uh and people think oh this is nice you know Oh, we get to it's different this is you know the the people who don't know any better they they think that this is this the novelty of this is uh is wonderful you know we're 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 keeping up with the times you know
2: no yeah. no we're 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 imitating the freemasons right. that's what we're doing right and they're they're very happy that they, we've abandoned our traditional architecture and we've embraced their architecture go ahead ruben
1: yeah so, um, this is, this is a fad found in some Australian churches is that the eliminating of the sanctuary in its original sense and placing the altar in the midst of the people. Um, uh, you know, the traditional design, uh, it's, it's with its elevated and prominent altar, clearly delineated the Holy of Holies as being a place set apart for the sacrifices accessible only to the priest and his male assistants. And in the Tridentine mass, the epistles, Psalms, and gospels readings took place at the altar. And, um, so, you know, as we as we see in the modern uh, Mass, that they're, they're all read from the uh, lectern, you know. And uh, the, it says the Novus Ordo Mass separated the liturgy of the Word from the liturgy of the Eucharist and in, introduced a lectern from which Scripture was to be read facing the people. Modernists like to emphasize the separation of the altar of the Word from the altar of the sacrifice— as it means less emphasis is placed on the mass as a sacrifice offered by Christ to his father in expiation for our sins. And more emphasis is placed on the role of the people as the recipients of God. This leads to the idea that we're now present at mass to get more than to give.
2: That's an important point there because yeah, that, that nailed it right there in the old mass. You knew that you were present at something at an event Although you could not see it with your eyes, but in your heart and your imagination, in your eyes of faith, you knew you were present at Calvary. And so you knew that the proper thing was to do is to become, uh, fall into sacred silence. Now that the mass has been modified, now people are, 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 they feel that they're supposed to be entertained. Mm Mm-hmm. They feel like, wait a minute. The person has to, the priest has to make jokes. He's facing me. We're facing him. We're talking back and forth. I want to hear his personality. I want to hear about his weekend. Uh, a- as a result of the way the the liturgy of the, of the of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist has been separated, bifurcated so strongly in the Novus Ordo Mass, now people think I'm not going to go to Mass unless I get something out of it. Right. That priest doesn't say enough jokes. He's not funny. Uh, he's not entertaining. I don't like his personality. He's too old. I'm not getting nothing out of it, which you're not supposed to get something out of it. It's not a Hollywood comedy show. You're supposed to give your sacred silence because you're at Calvary. All of that's been lost. Reuben
1: all of it, yeah, you're right and um so but the designers they they take this idea to st- a step further by bringing the sanctuary right into the midst of the congregation as an attempt to disregard the proper hierarchical structure that should be present during the Mass. In this egalitarian uh, setting, the priest loses his preeminent place and merges with the people. So focuses on the priest as a man, actually increases in this layout, and the people are forced to stare at each other. <laughs> and it, this, this entire setting is very anthropocentric, which is a, a, a hallmark of free, Freemasonry, and uh, in some of these designs, it's it's to increase the disrespect shown to the Lord. The priest's chair is situated with his back to the tabernacle. Uh, and, you know, w- when you see this, you, without n- having any knowledge of Freemasonry, you don't realize all these things that are taking place, th- these these things that are, are cleverly situated so that it resembles a Freemasonic free, free temple. Well, and, you know, uh, anthropocentric, that's just, you know— its considering human beings as the most significant entity of the universe. So. That's
2: right. There's a picture there of a of a parish called St Peter and Paul in Bulumba, Queensland. The designer of this modernist church that's on the article, Father Tom Elick, contrasts the philosophy behind traditional liturgical design with his modern version. Father Tom Elick points out that in the past, Christ was acknowledged as celebrating the liturgy with the priest acting in Persona Christi, whereas today, look at, he admits it, Christ celebrates the liturgy, that is, the whole body of Christ, consisting of all the baptized, the full conscience and active participation of all the faithful in the liturgical celebration is their right and duty by reason of their baptism. And so he conflates, he conflates the teaching of the church, and it, it, it almost sounds like all of us are in persona Christi, and all of us are celebrating the sacrifice of the Mass because we're all the mystical body of Christ. Uh, give me a break. You're listening to Jesus 911. We'll continue on this topic of Freemasonic architecture, the Catholic Church. Stick around.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911 if this call is not an emergency dial 888-526-2151
1: Jesus 911 but i have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and thou being once converted confirm thy brethren luke 22:32 that's the that's what uh, peter is supposed to be doing <clears throat> and then uh, we've had some we've had some modernist um, prelates that have been emphasizing a lot of this masonic stuff and uh we're talking about it now the designs
2: ruben and i'm not even i'm not even sure a lot of these modernist prelates even realize it's masonic i think it was just taught to them in seminary by by bad teachers bad theologians bad philosophers and probably freemasons that were in fact infiltrators but these young seminarians they probably didn't know that they were being taught modernist Freemasonic error. They just thought, oh, okay, I'm a student. I'm a seminarian. I'm, I'm in my early 20s. This guy's 40, 50. He's got a PhD. This is what he's teaching me. It must be Catholic. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not attributing uh, you know, any ill will towards a lot of these priests that have grown up in this environment. Right. Because I, I just turned 60 a few weeks ago, and I'm still getting my bearings. I still keep learning things. And, right. and, I, and I study this all day. Unlike most people, I'm immersed. I've been doing this for 30 years. My mind has been engaged in this and I'm st- my my mind is right. still popping. And I'm saying, dang, the Freemasons infiltrated that area. And so if I study this constantly and I'm just learning, continue to learn, I can imagine the average priest that's bogged down with all kinds of yep. uh, things that he has to do they're not going to read this this information ruben informed themselves yeah a lot right. of the, a lot of them stopped stop studying after seminary yeah and
1: you know and some of them they get so busy with their everyday their their duties as a priest um then it also starts eating away and taking away from their own prayer time and that's yeah. when there's a problem you know when you're not you're not listening and talking to god yourself um uh, it's going to be very hard for you to To be that uh, that shepherd for your flock.
2: Yeah, that's true. Here's another picture of another uh, on this article. The shift in philosophy from theocentric liturgy to anthropocentric liturgy is reflected in church design. Shown below is another example of a new church that reflects the assembly as celebrant philosophy. This rather sparsely decorated cathedral described by visitors as a barn or a basketball court. And complete with what looks like a floating storm cloud is said by the designer to embody a sublime narrative of spiritual life. As I'm looking at the picture, they're facing mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. <laughs> the parishion, you talk about a, like uncomfortable, The a, a tape, not an altar. There's a square table in the middle. The crucifix is at one end, not center. And, and the people are facing each other just like, again, somebody's going to perform in the middle uh, of some type of hall. Uh, here's another example. St. Patrick's Cathedral, Parramatta, New South Wales. Uh, another example is, is this chapel in Queensland. Again, we see the altar and the ambo have been brought into the midst of, con- of the congregants. No sanctuary as such exists. Congregants are left with little choice but to look at each other instead of intently gazing unimpeded at the holy sacrifice unfolding before them. Mm. Now I'll tell you what's so wrong about this, Ruben. Again, this is what the word anthropomorphic means, man-centered. The the liturgies have become man-centered and were in the old mass, even with the structure of the old mass, the architecture, there was no doubt. Even the Protestants knew it. It was a Christ-centered mass. Uh, And and again, even the Protestants, that's what they railed against themselves. Luther is that, uh, you know, he wanted it to become more man-centered again. Luther was 200 years before the Masons, but he already had these Masonic inklings already.
1: Exactly. Well, um, do you want to wrap this up, Jesse? And we want to move on. This is, it's... um... It, it's just, it's,
2: the, it's the, more of the same.
1: It's more yeah. of the same. So, uh,
2: yeah, you, you can, can get, yeah, you can get all the information by going to the show page, the uh, or Jesse It's, there's two great articles on the architecture of the modern church. it, it Ruben and me aren't, aren't happy saying this. No. It, it pains us. I'm embarrassed. I'm pained. I'm hurt. Uh, I, you know, I'm not happy saying the, these things, but these are facts. This is an infiltration of the diabolical Freemasons into the Catholic Church. And if you look at these two articles that we've provided, one's called Ecclesiastical Freemasonry, and the first one is called uh, Masonic Elements in Liturgical Design. Read it, share it with your pastor, discuss it with your family, your men's group with High Information Catholics, and just continue praying for the restoration of Holy Mother Church.
1: Hmm yeah, Jess. um, so going to uh, another article that's a cultist specialist brought in for Italian church design, you know, and <clears throat> it it's this is even more disturbing than the other pictures. <laughs> as you you see this church like in the new completed San Giacomo Apostolo in Ferrara, Italy. Our second question is usually why our first question might be along the lines is, is this for real? And that was my exact, uh, you know, I'm thinking I have never seen something this bad, uh, designed by a secular architectural firm. There's, there's this first problem. Why would you bring a secular architectural firm in to do something that is supposed to be holy and, uh, you know, raised up and and consecrated to God. Uh, it It makes no sense whatsoever. Firm uh, so this firm comes in, they tried to create something that didn't look like a church. The building does have most of the essentials of a church, even though they are rather dark, distorted versions. There's an altar, baptistry, blessed sacrament chapel, nave, Spartan stations of the cross, and multiple crosses, although none appear to hold a corpus. One of the one of the rubrics of mass is that there has to be a corpus. There has to be, you know, a crucifix at mass, and 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 uh, it, you know, I've seen some priests where they'll put a a stand up crucifix on the altar, and you know, in the novus ordo, and and that and that uh, satisfies. But in no way have I ever been to a church that didn't have a a cru, a, a crucifix, <clears throat> so. The words of the architect, one enters the church through the grove, which seems innocent enough until one realizes that groves are often associated with paganism and the occult. They're even mentioned <laughs> in the Bible in connection with the worship of false gods. Of course, this may be simply a turn of phrase, a turn of phrase as the popular surrounding the site were obviously planted long before the church was built. But it's an odd choice of words seen as the trees are lining the perimeter rather than being grouped together as the word grove suggests. Go ahead, Jess.
2: Uh, uh, you can look at a picture. Above the altar is an oculus. What is an oculus? That means Latin for an eye. This is, in architectural terms, this refers to an eye-shaped feature, such as a hole at the center of a dome. These are quite often found in churches. This particular one is decidedly creepy. Creepy. Surrounded by cold concrete and inner woman timbers, punctuated by the immense rough cross and the and crowning the almost windowless church, the overall effect is less than inviting and the lack of windows is, well, somewhat Masonic. Of the sanctuary, topped by this big eyeball, this oculus, with the cross suspended over it, all the charm of, it looks like, you know, it's got all the charm of a goth nightclub. Mm-hmm. Another view of the enormous cross, which looks ready to crush the occupants and gives little assurance that our Lord will help us carry our own cross. Yeah, that, that cross looks like it's about to fall down on people. Yeah. To the left, you can see the way both crosses almost intersect with another cross mounted at an angle on the far wall. The clashing, intersecting crosses found in, in, in Paul VI's Masonic-inspired portrait come to mind. Uh, you can there's a you can click there's a link you can read more about that uh, if if you want the cross that adorns the wall behind the sanctuary is not a Christian one hmm. the radiating arms of the cross are of the same length suggesting a Rosicrucian cross Rosicrucianism is an occult movement linked with Freemasonry and which contains elements of Kabbalah alchemy Christian mysticism and Hermeticism Jewels across this cross; these have no apparent Christian reference, but the architect thought they might remind the faithful of angels. At least that's what she told the media when she was asked.
1: That's it, Jesse. That's exactly the cross that's at the Orange County uh, Christ Cathedral. They have jewels surrounding it's it's a round, uh, a circular thing that's hanging from the from the ceiling, and then it's it's got the the Rosicrucian cross. So the the parallel and horizontal—I mean, the uh, horizontal and vertical beams—are the same length, and there's jewels surrounding the the circle that around that uh, holds the, the the cross in place.
2: Mm. Mm. The jewels, stone crosses, the bizarre black statuary are the work of the occult artist Enzo Cucci, who was invited by the architects to collaborate with them. The designers describe Cucci's black statues, which represents scenes from the Old and New Testament as resembling oozing basalt. Uh, Enzo Cucci is part of an art movement known as transver- transversalism and was included in an art exhibition entitled uh, Defecation and Die. But it, but, but it, it, it uses it,
1: the S word.
2: Yeah, he uses the S word. Uh, you can click on the link if you want to see what he, that man's all about. The whole thing gets even worse. A documentary film made about the exhibit was called Seance, uh, the baptismal font in the in, in, in this unappealing chamber sits atop what looks like a bidet Decorum prevents me from drawing a parallel with the art show show mentioned above. The stone found is actually an authentic liturgical antique. It came from an abandoned church in Bargamo Bargamo for the historically minded is the birth is the birthplace of John the Twenty Third, and was once the bishopric of the rather evil cardinal Redini Tadeci. but back to the occultist Cucci. Here's what one biographer had to say about him. Coochie is the painter as as seer, demon and saint, possessor and possessed. He is at once the creator and subject of his tale. He he is the painter as mad visionary, participant in and witness to the netherworld from which one can emerge after a ritual of fire and purification to the realm of the sublime. So this architect, Ruben, is an occultist. And the description of Coochie by a devoted fan and art critic is, quote, the painter is a demon. Hardly the kind of man anyone would want working on a church, unless, of course, one wanted a church reminiscent of an occult-themed safe room. Go ahead, Ruben, finish yeah. it up.
1: That's correct, Jesse. I did take a look at some of his paintings, and they're very dark, and uh, in no way uh, can you find any Christian value in it. You know, um, the, So the Archbishop of Ferrara, Giancarlo Perega, well, I can skip that. He says that... Uh, I know the set of a like to have fun with the churches like this one. You know, I suppose that they see it as a vindication of their position to me is just sad, sad for the people who worship there and don't know any better, sad for the priest who doesn't understand his vocation, sad for the bishop who thinks being edgy will make him popular and very sad for the liturgical designer who thinks there are no eternal consequences for making occult motifs, an integral part of a Catholic church. That, that's a powerful uh, paragraph right there.
2: God have mercy on his soul. These architects that brought in Freemasonry into the Catholic Church, God have mercy on their soul. Right. We'll be right back. Yep. Jesus 911. We're going to talk about liber- liberation theology next. Stick around. You'll, you'll want to hear more about that.
0: Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526
1: 2151. Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Uh, We've been talking about some uh, Freemasonic architecture found in in some Catholic churches and cathedrals. And uh, one of our listeners, um, he just texted me that the, that Our Lady of Guadalupe Mosaic in the Christ Cathedral doesn't have a 12-star crown. It's 13, very hidden in plain sight. Hmm.
2: Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It, won't, it won't surprise me. Wow. Yeah, it won't surprise me, Ruben. Uh, again, nothing. nothing I, I, I'm not surprised with any of the infiltration, as people pointed out. Uh,
1: it's not by accident. It, it, no, yeah. no,
2: no. Nope. So uh, Liberation Theology... Uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger actually wrote an academic article on this topic back in, heck, 1984. This is this has been around a long time. This isn't something new. Uh, I, I'm, uh, we're going to just go to the meat of his article, but le- let me just give you kind of a Jesse Romero bird's-eye view of what liberation theology is, then we'll get into the academic side of it by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the young Pope Benedict. Liberation theology is is, is an attempt to... Harmonize Christianity and Marxism. Okay, so it's it's trying to blend them together. So liberation theology, you'll find that they have a desire to to establish this worldly paradise, this uh, this worldly utopia. How through economic means, through economic ex- enslavement, uh, redistribution of wealth, uh, through taxation. Through regulation of certain, you know, you know, per, take away personal property, regulate certain worldly goods, uh, and and by who? Who wants to do all of this? Well, those that consider themselves the elites, the earth movers, and and liberation theology. It's steeped in our seminaries right now, especially in Latin America and South America, by the Jesuits. Wherever the Jesuits teach, you're going to find liberation theology being promoted. Mm -hmm. And so in in a simple way, and again, remember, Marxism is an atheistic system. It has to be an atheistic system in order for it to operate. And so what, what liberation theology is, is Christianity and Marxism forced together. That's a quick definition. Now we'll get into the academic side.
1: Right. And uh, so it's a complex phenomenon, this, uh, what you're talking about, the article. It's um, it's very well written. Obviously, a theologian uh, wrote it. It's Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. And uh, any concept of liberation theology has to be able to span positions ranging from the radically Marxist to those that stress necessary Christian responsibility towards the poor and the oppressed in the context of sound ecclesiology as did the documents of selam from medellin to puebla and so here's you he's using the concept of liberation theology in a more restricted sense a sense which includes only those theologians who in some way have espoused the marxist fundamental option even here there are many differences that are impossible to describe in detail in a general reflection such as this and he says, in this context, I'm, I can only try to reconsider some fundamental lines which, without ignoring the different points of origin, are very widespread and exercise a certain influence, even where a theology of liberation does not exist in the strict sense. Uh, so this, uh, the analysis of the phenomenon, it's um, it, it, the, the theology that we're clearly facing a fundamental danger for the faith of the church. He points that out right away. undoubtedly, one must realize that an error cannot exist unless it contains a nucleus of truth. So, in fact, an error is much more dangerous to the extent that it contains a greater proportion of truth. Moreover, the error could never appropriate that portion of the truth if this truth were sufficiently lived and witnessed where it is in its place. That is in the faith of the church. So for this reason, alongside the demonstration of error and the danger of liberation theology, we have to also consider the question, what truth is hidden in the error and how do we recover it completely?
2: Yeah, this is what makes it so dangerous. Cardinal Ratzinger is saying is that the liberation theologians, they hinge on this, uh, on the whole uh, spiritual work of mercy on feed the poor. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's going to argue with that because that comes right from the Bible, from the lips of Jesus. But they take a truth, Reuben, mm-hmm. and what they do is they politicize it now, based on that precept that Jesus gives us in matthew twenty five thirty one what they've they've politicized this by saying, well, that means we need a government to be able to you know take away personal property, redistribute wealth uh you know give uh give welfare to 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 you know people jumping in the, the border and coming over here illegally." So they'll take a part. They'll take a truth of the gospel, like Carl Ratzinger says. Mm-hmm. But what they'll do is they'll warp it, Ruben. They'll twist it and make it political. And that's the danger of liberation theology. Is that in their in their theology, the Jesuits aren't stupid. They're very intelligent. They they it's like you get a, a nice casserole of I don't know spaghetti. And somebody just hacked a loogie in there, oh. but they mixed it. They mixed it all together. Hey, Ruben, it's dinner time. Hey, Debbie, come on, let's come and eat with the uh, the Romero's house. Uh, look at This big old pot of spaghetti we made. It's man, it's boiling. It's great. Look at these big meatballs. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> don't, don't mind. I was sick and stuff. I had a Kansas cold, and I just kind of hacked the loogie and it fell in there. But don't worry about it. You know, the, it's it's somewhere there, but I'm sure it's burned away. Ruben, you and Debbie would say, Jess. Thanks for inviting us over for dinner. We're going to go get a burger, okay, at In-N-Out. We're not going to eat your spaghetti because Man. because all of it is spoiled. Thanks. All uh, Yeah, all of it is spoiled, in my opinion, because you hacked the Kansas loogie in there. Mm.
1: Jesse, you just ruined my appetite. <laughs> I was going to go have breakfast after this, but I think I'm going to Reuben,
2: <laughs> Ruben, I just wanted to make it understandable what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
1: All right. So, so Cardinal called says not to pretend to construct a new treatise alongside the others that already exist, for example, um, to develop some new aspects of social teaching of the church. Cause that's already in present. We already have that in place. It is conceived rather as a new hermeneutic of the Christian faith, which means it is a new form of understanding and a realization of Christianity in its totality. So for this reason, it changes all the aspects of ecclesial life, ecclesiastical structures, liturgical, liturgy, catechesis and moral options. So, excuse me, um, the liberation theology certainly has its center of gravity in
2: South America, but it's not exclusively restricted to Latin and South America. Stop there. You know why they pick South America predominantly? Soft target. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. You talk about... You talk about uh, looking down on people. These Jesuits, they said, who who would buy this hook, line, and sinker without any pushback? Ah, oh, We know who. Latin American Catholics are simple. They're pious. They pray, pay, and obey. They're not going to question us. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're just, just going to shove this Marxism down their throat, and they're all going to accept that hook, line, and sinker. They're a soft target. That's why they picked Latin America, Ruben. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you you know remember the Sandinistas and the they're you know running arms to them to overthrow the, the government and uh, because it's this idea that you know we're the the downtrodden the poor we, we, you know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to rise up and 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 they in, inter, interject Catholicism in it and it's and that's where our pope is from South America and he's a Jesuit so he meets two of that criteria there <laughs> and so. Yep. Liberation theology seeks to create from its premises a new universality by which the classical separation of the churches should lose their importance. And but the, the concept of the theology of liberation and the suppositions of its genesis, you know, they've left the question open. What, what exactly is liberation theology? It's in, in, in a first effort to reply. We can say that liberation theology claims to, to give a new global interpretation of of Christianity It explains Christianity as a praxis of liberation and claims to be itself a guide to such a practice Praxis, Mm. as according to this theology, all reality is political. So liberation is a political concept and the guide to liberation must be a guide to political action.
2: There it is. See that right there. Cardinal Ratzinger gave us the, the errors completely of liberation theology because the Mm. Catholic faith Mm. is the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's the holy doctrine of Christ. It's not political. It's just true. So once the Jesuits are trying to tell us, admitting that liberation theology is a political kind or a political concept, uh, you know right away that you have to reject it. That This comes from Satan because the Catholic faith, the Catholic doctrine and dogmas are not political. They are the revealed, the revealed truths of God from heaven.
1: Mm-hmm. You're right, Jess. And... <laughs> You know, even uh, when Jesus was talking to Pontius Pilate, and uh, you know, he says, "You know, I'm not of this world. If I was, I, you know, I'd have allegiance you know, just coming and and getting him out, of, getting him out of there." But he it was it was from God. So, the same thing, you know, this is we we're, we can't we can't try to do things that uh, don't go they go against you know the 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 Christian teachings that have come from down from the apostles from Christ and the apostles himself. And this is some new something new, and uh, it, it, because people people are in those areas that we were men- mentioned here, South America, they're they're down, you know, they're they're very poor, and so they they hear these priests talking like this. They say, oh, well, he you know he's 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 from the church, so you know we have got to believe him, and uh, they they buy this hook line and sinker, and uh, Benedict talks about uh, a Gutierrez. He says that he's quoting, a. Um, it's, it's one of these priests that, does the, that teaches this stuff. Nothing remains outside political commitment. All exists with a political coloration, a theology that would not be practical. That is to say, essentially political. It's considered idealistic and condemned as the unreal or as a vehicle to maintain the oppressors in power. So for a theologian, this is important here. For a theologian who has learned his theology in the classical tradition and who accepts his spiritual vocation... It is difficult to imagine how we can seriously empty the global reality of Christianity into a scheme or study of the socio-political practice of liberation. So this is even more difficult, however, how when many theologians of liberation continue in great measure to use the ascetical and dogmatic language of the church in a new key in, in such a way that the person from another background who reads it and listens has the impression that's finding the truth. The traditional patrimony, with the addition of a few affirmations that seem somewhat strange, but which, however, joined to such a religious fervor, cannot be dangerous. And so they dupe them into, with some truth, and, and then with some of this garbage. That's right. All right, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Jesus nine one one. Right back.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 4:25. We're all in this together, guys, and we've got to help restore a holy mother church so we're pointing these things out jesse and i are um we're not happy about doing something like this we don't know we love holy mother church we don't want to see the things happening like this but um you know if you if it's not pointed out then you'll never know and some of the truth that's steeped into this this falsehood is gonna into uh, cause you to believe that this
2: is uh, this is okay that's that's correct Ruben, I just sent you the, a redacted version of uh, okay. that. what you asked for. So essentially we're sharing an article written by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger back in 1984. He's pointing out the theological errors of uh, liberation theology. It's We're not going to get through the article. It's too long, but it, but it's well written. If you want to read it yourself, I would recommend that you just go to the show page and sit down and get a cup of coffee or some tea. I'm a, I'm a tea guy personally. And, uh, and read this article so you could understand how, how the Jesuits uh, have lost their way and what exactly is it that they're teaching in these Jesuit universities around the world and why is it that so many Catholics are so malformed? You find so many Catholics, for example, Ruben, in high places in, in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find a lot of Catholics uh, and, and you'll see their background. It'll say... Uh, it, it, it'll say... Uh, oh yeah this this congressman uh jesuit trained mm-hmm. oh that congressman jesuit trained it's like if that's yeah. a ha- it's a hallmark of, of like wow you know 70 uh <clears throat> 70 jesuits uh that uh, or 70 uh, congressmen or or senators w- went to jesuit universities and and graduated with the highest academic honors all that tells me <clears throat> uh is that they They've been malformed in, in Catholicism, and is it is it a wonder mm-hmm. that most Catholic politicians in Congress and in the Senate are pro-abortion, pro LGBT? because if they've been steeped in the fact that the fundamental thing that 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 a Christian has, has to do is you know as, as they say, you know, uh, we got to make government so big that we can take care of everybody. Everybody gets a fair shot. Everybody gets the same, you know, bread at the end of the week. Everybody gets the same gallon of milk. You know, people really shouldn't have personal property. We should take from Peter, give to Paul. If Peter has more than Paul, we need to make everything equitable. If that's what you've been taught all your life in Jesuit theology, in Jesuit schools, and then you go to Congress or the Senate, of course that's the way you're going to govern. Again, uh, I, I would just have to say is... The worst thing that we have going in our country, Ruben, is liberal, progressive, malformed Catholics in positions of power Mm -hmm. believing that what they're doing as politicians is actually pleasing to God.
1: (laughs) That is is so true, Jesse. And we see it time and time again. And you're right. A lot of them, they do espouse that they're from the Jesuit, you know, the school of thought, you know. Oh, I went to, I got my degree at Loyola University. Well, you know, it's a red flag for me. It's not, it's it's not a, you know, you're not going to get a a star in my book.
2: And, you know, Ruben, you're right. For example, I'll be honest with you. I've been busy, you know, the last couple of years speaking around the country. I get invited to a lot of places, but I'm going to tell you, and people tell me, they go, it's not because of your BA from Mount St. Mary's College, which we know what that's all about. Okay. That means that you were trained in Marxist modernism and you just basically push through to get a degree. They go, what gives you street cred to us, you know what I, they'll say, is the MA from Steubenville, not the BA from Mount St. Mary's because Catholics in the know, they know that there's a bifurcation in Catholic education. They know that 75 to 80% of Catholic colleges teach fake Catholicism. They, they, they basically teach... Uh, what we were talking about syncretism catholicism mixed up in a big spaghetti bowl with with every other religion where there's a few catholic universities like 30 out of 275 that they're going to teach you what here Here's here's your assignment. You've got to read Saint Thomas Aquinas, uh, this part of the Summa de Malo. You've got to read Saint Augustine's Confessions. You've got to read Saint Francis de Sales' Introduction to the to the Devout Life. There's only thirty Catholic colleges where you can get an authentic Catholic college education.
1: Wow, only thirty. Thirty, <laughs> out of hundreds.
2: Out, out of two seventy five. Yeah,
1: that's that's amazing, Jess. Uh, so th- that's what uh, that's what you know. The kids have to start. Uh, Start looking into it. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, let, let me jump in. Let me just point some things out from this article that Cardinal Ratzinger points out. Mm-hmm. He talks. There's three main paragraphs, and we're, obviously we're not going to get to them. One of them is called the concept of the theology of liberation, and the suppositions of its genesis. The next paragraph that Cardinal Ratzinger talks about and pointing out the errors, he is is called. The Fundamental Epistemological Structure of Liberation Theology. In other words, what's their foundation? And then the third paragraph is called Fundamental Co- Concepts of Atheology of Liberation. So those are the three meaty sections on, on the article. <laughs> We're probably just going to just really finish up the, the, the first paragraph, the concept of of the theology of liberation and the suppositions of its genesis I'll continue where Ruben kind of left off it's exactly the radical nature of the theology of liberation that makes one off that, that makes one very often miss its gravity its seriousness it does not enter into any existing treatment of heresy its starting point is found outside of what is usually accepted as a starting point for traditional methods of discussion Notice that one sentence that Cardinal Ratzinger says, Liberation theology doesn't smoke on heresy. Okay? He says, for this purpose, I will try to determine the fundamental liberation, direction of liberation theology in two steps. First, it will be necessary to say something about the presuppositions that have made it possible. Next, I'd like to explain some of the basic concepts that allow us to know something of the structure of liberation theology how do we reach such a completely new direction in theological thought as expressed in liberation theology, I see principally three factors which made it possible. Number one, first, after the council, there was a new theological situation. The opinion was created that the existing theological tradition, mainly the scholastic thought of St. Thomas and Don Scotus and, and, uh, and, and Charles Bromeo, that was no longer acceptable. And as a consequence, one must attempt, starting from Scripture and the signs of the times, to develop totally new theological and spiritual direction. That's called the Novo Theologia. The, the modernist says, we've got to abandon the Middle Age scholastics and we've got to follow the French modern thinkers. Remember where Freemasonry came from? France. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Cardinal Ratzinger says, the idea of openness to the world and of commitment to the world was often transformed into a naive faith in science, a faith which accepted human sciences as a new gospel without trying to recognize their limits in their own particular problems. Psychology, sociology, and the Marxist interpretation of history were considered as scientifically certain and as instances of Christian thought that are no longer debatable. Hmm. Let me just mention that Father Mitch Pacwa in the video, a woven sheets clothing says that psychology, psychiatry, and sociology came from Freemason, Freemasonry, and Marxism over 200 years ago. and the modernists after Vatican II, they believed that psychology, sociology, and psychiatry is more important than what St. Thomas Aquinas called theology, the queen of sciences. Mm. So these man-made Marxist systems have now basically uh, have basically supplanted scholastic theology, and this is what we have today. It's called liberation theology. Ruben? Mm.
1: He goes on to say the criticism of the tradition w- with the modern New Testament exegesis, especially that of Boltman and of his school, became an indispensable mm. theological method that, closed the door on forms that up to now were valid in theology and encouraged totally new constructions. Marxism with the religious accents of Bloch and uh, totally unscientific philosophies of Adorno, Horkheimer, Habermas, Marcuse offered a model of action which one believed to offer a way to respond to the challenge of misery and poverty in the world at the same time to realize the correct meaning of the biblical message. Finally, the moral challenge of poverty and oppression was not able to be ignored after Europe and North America reached an opulence until then unknown. This challenge evidently demanded new replies that until then could not be found in the existing tradition. The changed theological and philosophical situation expressly invited seeking the reply in a Christianity that would be guided by models of hope taken from Marxist philosophies and seemingly scientifically established so the that the scientifically established you know the things that Jesse talked about the psychology psychiatry and sociology they're deemed as sciences, so oh, they must be true. you know these are academics in the modern world that that are getting these these high degrees and they're they're espousing these things. So yeah, let's go that that route, you know and uh, and forget about all these these the scholastic school in 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 the traditional sense
2: and right and right away Ruben they, they you you pointed out in the article uh, the, the church started following this guy named Boltmann who was Boltmann Rudolf Boltmann was a german new testament a lutheran scholar mm. and so he's the one that started emphasizing this whole preferential option for the poor and it's isn't it interesting it was a german back at the reformation that pulled the church away and split the church into forty thousand denominations, and now we have another German theologian who's a Protestant who now takes the Jesuits down the rabbit hole of politicizing the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm.
1: There you go, Jesse. Um, anyway, that's a uh, this article's long. Uh, get ahead, get on our show page and. Uh... Pull it up. You're, you're,
2: it's worth reading. It's yeah. worth reading. If you're you a serious Catholic, which I know people listening to the show are serious Catholics, grab yourself something to drink, sit down, <laughs> and put on your reading glasses and read it and stuff so you can understand where the Jesuits went south.
1: That's right. Anyway, you've been, you know, uh, listening to Jesus 911. Um, if you like what you hear and you, you want to share it with your friends, please do so. And remember, uh, we're having the Spiritual Warfare Conference this weekend in Pomona, California Father Chad Ripperger and his right hand men Kyle Clement and Dr. Dan Schneider and uh, Jesse Romero will be on hand uh, I'll be there as well come on out if you have your ticket if not, uh, it's sold out so you have to get it on uh, get this the video version of it so get a hold of VNPR for that up next, Gary masuta from the Midwest Command Center hands on apologetics Thank you. Keep the faith. We are 107 EOW.